0: Our scripture reading this morning is Matthew or Mark 12, verses 13 through 17, something that we all should recognize. Jesus answers the Pharisees, Sadducees, and scribes. Then they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to him in order to trap him in a statement. They came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are truthful and defer to no one, for you are not partial to any, But teach the way of God in truth. Is it lawful to pay a poll tax to Caesar or not? Shall we pay or shall we not pay? But he, knowing their hypocrisy, said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. And they were amazed at him. This is the word of the Lord.
1: All right, we are continuing in our Faith and Flourishing in Politics sermon series. Uh, Over halfway there, this is our seventh message. Uh, and we are on the letter I. But before we do that, I'd like to start with a little bit of a review, right? These are all principles, concepts, commands that we can take into our engagement in our world. They come from Scripture, so this is kind of like a biblical theology looking at different themes. Uh, And The first one is F, uh, which is faith, not fear. could also be faithful presence. That's something that a lot of us remember from that one. L, and you can sort of like look at the picture and hopefully get some idea of it, All right? You have the arrows up and sideways for, uh, in the hearts. Love God and neighbor. O is other people's good. Talked about like the common good, shalom. Uh, and then U is understanding and wisdom, the importance of wisdom in our political engagement. And then R is reign of Christ. I guess I didn't actually say that during the message last week, uh, but it's Christ and his kingdom and our allegiance to him first. And so today... Any guesses on what I stands for? (laughs) I don't know. I heard something over there that was interesting. But uh, image of God was the the correct answer. (laughs) Image of God. right? Uh, And I believe this is a really important doctrine, the imago Dei, image of God, uh, that we need to remember as we head into our political engagement. But before we do that, let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for your word. Thank you that we get to think about how we engage in our world and in politics. And that your scripture does speak to us uh, in how to handle ourselves in all things, uh, and yet also gives us a lot of freedom uh, to to figure out how to honor you. Uh, Help us to learn this today and and to apply it. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen. Ah, so I wanted to start with a little bit of a quiz. Sometimes I do these. they entertain me and maybe sort of engage you. Uh, That's what we're here for, right? Um, These are tweets, okay? These are tweets, these are actual tweets. Uh, And I want you to guess, so think about it, show of hands, is this a a tweet about politics or sports? All right, is this a tweet about politics or sports? His biggest win yet, let's hear it for your blank champion. Politics or sports? All right, show of hands for politics. Show of hands. Oh, a couple, a couple there. Three. It's all right. You can raise your hand. Show of hand for sports. Okay, it was a sport. You raised your hand for both. That's not fair. Uh, <laughs> that's that's right. It was sports. It was uh, it was actually. Uh, let's hear it for your 2021 NASCAR Cup Series champion. Sports. All right. Next one. Heads we win, tails you cheated, give me a break, man. Sports? I guess I reversed the order, didn't I? Uh, uh, We'll do sports or politics? I see more hands for politics. You guys are winning so far. Yes, that one is about politics. How about this one? This one is probably my favorite tweet I encountered. Blank. Is a rough old sport. Sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but you pick yourself up and you get back out there as hard as it is. Don't don't give up and don't lose faith. All right, we're going to do sports first. Show of hands, sports. Okay, a little bit more. uh, Politics. Okay, more more about politics. You're right, it was politics. Politics is a rough old sport. How about this one? Patriots win domination. (laughs) Sports, anyone? Okay, okay. You're, anyone think this is politics? What if I found... Oh, yeah, I love your hope. It's sports. I, I wish I would found that for politics. That would have been fun. Uh, now, why do I share these? Why do I share these? Because, my understanding, we often talk about sports and politics in sort of a similar way. right? You can almost hear it, like, Republicans win, Democrats win, domination... My party wins. My party, can, my candidate wins. I found these twi- tweets by uh, doing a search on Twitter, advanced search for words like win, lose, team, patriot, victory. And uh, when you would do a search for that, like political things would pop up, and sports. Imagine you're in a stadium. You're holding up a poster. The crowd is cheering, they're chanting, everyone is wearing similar colors. Are you at a sports game <laughs> are you at a political rally? You could be at either. This is just a picture of a march, right? You could, you could imagine a crowd like that in a sports stadium, a football game. So the question is, are you, are you team red or are you team blue? maybe your team purple <laughs> at the end of Israel's wandering in the wilderness so they've been in the wilderness for 40 years they cross the Jordan and Israel is about to enter the promised land the land that God promised them the land of Canaan God said I'm going to take you there and give you this piece of property to build a nation for me and as they're outside the very first city Joshua's leading the people. They encounter this sort of divine being, this supernatural messenger. It's an angel, or maybe it's God himself. We're not really sure. And this is what happens. Joshua, chapter 5, 13 through 14. When Joshua was was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked. And behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us? or for our adversaries. And he said, No, but I am the commander of the army of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, What does my Lord say to my servant? The reason I share this is because this is not primarily about 21st century politics, but I think there are so many applications here. Right? We come to God and say, God, whose side are you on? Which team are you playing for today, God? Team red, team blue? And if anyone could have said, God is on my side, wasn't it Joshua? God, God commanded him to lead an invasion, a political, social, economic invasion to completely take over the country. And when Joshua says, are you for us or for them, and God's messenger, maybe God himself says, I'm for me. (laughs) I'm on my own side. Joshua's response is to fall down and worship. to not try to say, well, are you sure? (laughs) Are you sure? Are you sure you're not really on my side? See, God calls us to to get on his team. We're, We're tempted to choose one team or the other, we get on God's team. And we see this carry through to the New Testament as we encounter the person of Jesus. See, Jesus' opponents, they try to force him to pick a side. They try to force Jesus into partisan politics, right? Choosing one party or the other. Now, Jesus claimed to be a king. That's a, a political station. As he rode a donkey into Jerusalem... He was making a statement that he was God's anointed king, that he was the Messiah, the chosen one. And, well, he ended up dying for it. And the people, I think the reason he died is like the people wanted a king that would come in and throw out the Romans. And what does Jesus do when he enters into Jerusalem? He goes and he clears out the temple. He clears out the money changers. He badmouths the Pharisees and the religious leaders. Jesus is not on their side. He's on his own side. He's on God's side. And so what do those powers that be do? That Well, they unite, right? The enemy of my enemy is a friend. They unite the Pharisees and the Herodians to get rid of Jesus. In college, I went to Colorado State University Uh, CSU Rams, and uh, there's something you should know about like Colorado football. Uh, The CSU Rams do not like the CU Buffalo, right? Boulder does not like (laughs) Fort Collins, and Fort Collins does not like Boulder. But there's one thing that we can agree upon, that we both hate the Nebraska uh, team, right? We don't, like, uh, we don't like them. We don't like the corn huskers, the Nebraska corn huskers. They're the worst, <laughs> right? Enemy of my enemy is a friend. So the Pharisees and the Herodians, they, they unite to attack Jesus. And we see this in Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 14. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, but you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? Right? So here you see the Pharisees and the Herodians. The Herodians supported, well, the people that they're named after, Herod Antipas, Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee. Now, Herod, right, he's installed by Rome. It's, he's it's sort of like this, if you're a Herodian, then you're probably in favor of sort of big government. Uh, you're going to be in favor of like Roman rule, taxation, um, you know, and you're going to be against anyone who says to not pay taxes to Caesar because then you're not going to pay taxes to Herod. Right? And the Herodians probably recognized all the good that the Roman government did. They built over 250,000 miles of roads. They increased trade. They provided security. The Romans created the Pax Romana, the Roman peace. They did it with the sword, but certainly it was a time of relative peace if you were a part of Rome. And Then on the other side, the other party, right? You got team red. You got team blue. You have the Pharisees, right? The Pharisees, they're, they're zealous for the Lord. They're zealous for God's law. They care about the holiness laws. They want everyone to follow those holiness laws in the Old Testament, the Hebrew Scriptures. They think of Rome as oppressive, as evil. These, these Pharisees would be nationalistic. They'd be very pro-their nation. They were not Herodians. <laughs> and so whose side are you going to take Jesus? Are you going to take red or blue? Are going to take... Herodians or Pharisees' size? Which partisan identity are you going to adopt? Right? Because sometimes this idea of team, my side, actually begins to take on a whole identity. I'm Herodian. I'm a Pharisee. I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. I'm whatever, you name it. Jesus is surrounded (laughs) and put in a box. None of us can probably relate to that with politics, right? There would have been people, like, think of your Thanksgiving dinner, right? You might have some people that are on this side of the political spectrum and some people that are on that side. And these are people that you love and you care about. Well, Jesus was in a similar boat. (laughs) Jesus had disciples who might have been pro-Rome and against Rome. Think of Matthew, also called Levi. He was a what? A tax collector. Right? So he worked for the Roman government. So he probably, at some point, at least believed in Rome and its power and its state and what it could do. So maybe he's whispering in one ear, Jesus, <laughs> say you're pro herodian Say, you're, say you're, a, you're for paying taxes to Caesar, And then on the other side, you have Simon the Zealot, right? So Simon, at the very least, was zealous for God's law. At the most, he might have been part of a member of a band of people called Zealots who were, like, militaristically against the nation of Rome, right? He's probably, who is maybe shouting in Jesus' other ear, say not to pay taxes, don't pay taxes, that's evil. Can you relate Jesus is caught between a rock and a hard place. Am I going to say pay taxes to Caesar or not? Hmm. I think sometimes we're put into a similar trap as Christians. We're we're said, you know what? Pick a side and stay there, right? To be a Christian is to be a family loving, freedom loving, God loving Republican. Or to be a Christian is to be a justice-loving, women-loving, poor people-loving democrat. What if Jesus doesn't fit into either of those categories? What if he wants us to come before him and worship? To follow him the best we can. Jesus does not fall prey to identity politics. Jesus does not fall prey to partisanship. I ran across this sort of insightful tweet as I was doing my deep dive into the Twitterverse. It said this, viewing politics as sports means one team wins and one team loses. But the uh, R, D, Republican, Democrat, political divide misses the fact that we are all actually on the same team. (laughs) When our representatives vote as a way to punish or simply deny a win for the other side, we all lose. The more we begin to engage our world like sports, the more we're going to not be able to seek flourishing. The harder it's going to be to find the common good. Jesus' opponents try to force him to pick a political side. So how does Jesus respond? What gets him out of this trap? It's a trap. Well, that's when we come to the letter I. (laughs) I. In Flourish, Jesus goes to the doctrine of the image of God, the Imago Dei. Jesus shows a different way with the image of God. Jesus won't fall for their trap, and so this is how he responds. But knowing their hypocrisy, right, that they were just trying to trap him, they didn't really care. They wanted to use him for their means, really, to get rid of him. But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said to him, Caesar's. And Jesus said to them, Render the, to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled at him. So the Herodians are looking for an either-or answer. This or that. Jesus gives a yes and. (laughs) Yes, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar and give to God what belongs to him. Jesus goes to the image of God to find a better way. And if we go to the image of God, we find four truths from our passage here today. Number one is that Jesus challenges what we value and exposes our idolatry. Jesus challenges what we value and exposes our idolatry. Idolatry. Now think about the story, right? When they say, like, who are you going to pay taxes to? Are you going to pay it or not? Jesus is like, hey, does someone have a denarius? Does someone have a coin? Denarius is worth one day's wages. Jesus doesn't even carry money. He doesn't carry the coin pouch. He so devalues what they value, he has to ask someone else. Judas carried the coin pouch, and we know what happened to him. He cared about those same things the world cares about. See, money just isn't that important to Jesus. It's just operating completely differently. I think politics matter to God because people matter to God. But I think they matter much differently than we think they matter. In 1896, hopefully, you know, this illustration won't offend anyone, it's 1896, maybe you're really invested in the 1890 uh, presidential election here. Uh, the presidential candidate for the Democratic Party was a 36-year-old named William Jennings Bryan. Maybe some of you have heard of him. Uh, and he ran against the gold standard for money, right, because he didn't, he didn't want to hurt low-income workers, And at the Democratic Convention, he gave one of the most famous political speeches of all time that maybe you have heard of, probably not. (laughs) And He compared the gold standard to the cross of Jesus. Let's see what he says. He says this, If they dare to come out in the open field and defend the gold standard as a good thing, we will fight them to the utmost, having behind us the producing masses of this nation and the world supported by the commercial interests, the laboring interests, and the toilers, Everywhere We will answer their demand for a gold standard by saying to them, You shall not press down upon the brow of labor this crown of thorns. You shall not crucify mankind upon a cross of gold. He felt so strongly about the gold standard that he felt that it was appropriate to compare that to the cross of Jesus Christ and to a crown of thorns. Right, And that, this was clearly an important issue back in the 1890s. Clearly a lot of people cared about this. But you see how something that seemed so important at that time maybe wasn't as important in the long run, and to elevate it to a place of ultimate significance, to equate it with the cross of Christ, created something that was an idol, that was idolatrous. And so the question that we need to ask ourselves is, what is Jesus trying to expose in my heart? What do I value and care about that... Jesus might want to say, you know what? That seems a little bit idolatrous. You know, and I, this hurts. No one wants to do that, right? Because we all want to be Right. We all want to be on the winning team. But if Jesus is the word of God, that means he is living and and sharper and active than any two-edged sword. He wants to do a work in us to expose our self-righteousness. And I I can be the first to admit that when it comes to politics, man, it's easy for me to feel self-righteous. And yet Jesus exposes our idolatry with a denarius. It's a denarius right there, this coin, Tiberius Caesar. On the right is, uh, I think it's a Greek goddess of peace. Do you know that for them to carry this idol, this this coin with an image on it, was a little idolatrous? So for them to be handling it, like, I, don't, I don't even know if Jesus touched the thing. He was just like, so who's on that? Right? But for them to be carrying it, they were actually committing a small sort of symbolic form of idolatry to carry around this engraven image. I, I ran a, across one post on Twitter that said you know, there was a, it was a political victory, and it declared God wins. Political victory, God wins. Really? God wins? How do you know God wins because of your political victory? Sometimes I get Christian voter guides in the mail. Right? Those really bother me. They're often one-sided, and they show up, and they say, pretty much just vote. vote this direction. That's the Christian thing to do. See how they've taken the name of Christ, put it on a booklet, and said, This is my team, and Christ endorses my team. We're not called to demand Jesus to be on our side, we're called to bow down and worship. Jesus is showing a different way with the image of God, and Jesus challenges what we value and exposes our idolatry. And the question is, are we going to have the courage to confess it, to repent? Jesus also affirms, yet right-sizes human authority. And this ties into Romans 13, to what we talked about last week. He affirms human authority, yet he also right-sizes human authority. Look at the denarius again. Uh, The denarius on the left has this inscription, while in general the denarius did, I don't know if this one does exactly, but they had this inscription on them, Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. Tiberius was the son of Octavian who defeated Brutus after Caesar's assassination. On the opposite side, is a picture of the yeah, it's a Roman goddess of peace named Pax. It has the Latin inscription, High Priest. Right, So you have a coin that says, Son of God, Priest. Talking about peace. There's a lot of irony here, right? Because what is Jesus? <laughs> Jesus is the actual Son of God. Jesus is the one who actually brings peace. Jesus is a high priest. He bridges the gap between us and God. And when Jesus talks about, like, whose likeness and inscription is on this, that word likeness is the Greek word for image, which is also translated as idol. So Jesus is subtly, subtly saying, like, think of the image of God. Right? Whose image is on the Caesars? Well, then give to Caesar his, his thing with his, his little inscription on it, his little idol. But, but what's made in God's image? What belongs to God? Us. <laughs> All of us. All of humankind is made in the image of God. So Jesus is affirming Caesar's authority. He's affirming humankind's right to rule and to reign, but he's ultimately affirming God's authority. We go back to Genesis 1.27. We've been going there this entire season, uh, this entire series. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Jesus is saying that humankind And Caesar's authority matters, but God's authority is ultimate. Guess whose image Caesar is made in? God's image. God actually owns Caesar. Hmm. And so when the world comes to us and says, you know, we want your vote on this important matter for this candidate that we think can make a difference, you can give to them your vote. You can give it about that important issue or matter or politician. But just remember, Jesus wants everything. He wants your heart, your mind, your actions, your will. He wants your past, your present, and your future. He wants how you engage in the world. God will take all of you, (laughs) your whole life, So Jesus shows a different way with the image of God, challenges what we value and exposes our idolatry, affirms yet right-sizes human authority, and affirms human dignity and worth. Even though Jesus challenges the Herodians and the Pharisees and ultimately Caesar himself, he does respect the image of God. He acknowledges that Caesar has the right to rule. And he goes to that image because that image, when we remember in our political engagement, it reminds us that all people are made with dignity and are valuable and should be t- treated with respect. Like if I'm made in the image of God, that means like there's a little sliver of the divine stepping into this room. There's a little d- sliver, and I don't mean like you're a little God, but that's what I, C.S. Lewis actually talks about people that way. He says, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Right? There's something really special about people. And when we're tempted to be angry, upset, or to be frustrated with people, to be short-tempered, to badmouth people, let's remember the image of God. I listened to an interview with Bill Haslam this week. He served as the two-term governor of Tennessee. So for eight years, uh, he tried to practice this idea of faithful presence while he was in office, and I'll be sharing that interview as part of my follow-up email. One of the ways he practiced faithful presence was by constantly trying to remember that there was the image of God in people. Right, so he shares one story in his book on the image where he talks about, there's this one lady who came to him and approached him and said, like, you're quitting writing cursive in the public schools because you don't want people to read the Constitution, and he was like, what? (laughs) Like, I didn't say that, and he, like, tried to have a conversation with her and say, like, I have not done that or made any sort of step in that direction, but she just wouldn't believe him, and he could have just been like, you're crazy, and walked away, but instead, he recalled to mind the image of God, that here was someone he disagreed with, but they were valuable Worthy of dignity and respect. You know, and I've found in my own life, and this is my own sin, that it's much easier for me to be okay when someone badmouths a politician that I don't agree with. Right? I'm like, "Eh, yeah, 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 you're probably right. (laughs) You know, when they criticize them or curse them or come up with sort of catchy catchphrases to to, um, degrade them. But when it's someone that I care about and that I, I support or I would vote for, well, that offends me. How can you say that about my candidate? What if we remember the image of God in both sides? Not just when someone offends my sensibilities, but am I treating others with respect? Am I, am I talking about Mitch McConnell or Nancy Pelosi like they are made in the image of God? Am I talking about AOC or Benjamin Shapiro like they are made in the image of God? Am I talking about President Biden or President Trump like they are made in the image of God? That brings back respect, dignity, doesn't it? How Christians talk should be the most respectful, and yet we sort of tend to to lift up those that feel comfortable Degrading others because they say what we're thinking, right? they say what we feel. We need to repent of that. How about actual political issues? This series is not meant to be a let's go through and look at each individual uh, issue. But what if we th- to think about two issues: immigration and abortion in the image of God? Right? How would the immigration discussion be changed? If when we think about immigrants coming to our country, the first thing we do is remember they're made in the image of God. It doesn't matter where you're coming from, how long you've been traveling, the way in which you come. If you're made in the image of God, then you're worthy of dignity and respect. Am I treating you like a person? Or am I treating you like an animal? Right? Cages. You know, some of these people, they're believers. We're going to rule and reign with them for all eternity. Do I want to have treated them in a certain way, knowing that these are eternal beings made in God's image? How about abortion? How would that discussion change if we really valued the image of God in mothers? Right, a mom is made in the image of God. She deserves respect and dignity and care and this tiny preborn baby is being knit together in the image of God. We want to care for that preborn baby as well. Does that mean we want to provide protection and care for both the mother and the and the child even at deep cost to ourselves? Not just voting, but maybe thinking about things like adoption and Caring for places like Caring Pregnancy Centers. And I could adopt a child made in the image of God. It's beautiful. I think it just changes the discussion a little bit. When we start with the image of God. It has this way of raising the value of all people, no matter their station, no matter their place. Jesus is showing us a different way with the image of God. Number four, Jesus unites us in the perfect image of God. Satan loves to divide. (laughs) I actually think Satan's probably a big fan of partisan politics, right? Just divide and conquer. What does Jesus do? Jesus actually likes to unite, bring together. Galatians 3.28 says this, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is no, uh, there is no male and female. There is neither Republican nor Democrat. That's gonna be, I didn't know that was in the, the original version there. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus is creating a brand new humanity. He's the king, <laughs> He's uniting and he's creating something new. And when we get so caught into like this sports of politics, right? We 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 lose something. We begin to value other things like winning over the image of God. Uh, we begin to say, "Well, wow, the ends justify the means." But as children of God. Right, we should be the first to recognize the image of God in others. Right, Christians, people that know Jesus, we're, we're called God's children. So we even have perhaps this more special place right, of relationship with God. So we want to show those people that are made in God's image how to be a child. And if we're caught up in the, the left or the right, we're not going to be able to do that. We're going to be working for other things. We have to to move from identity politics to image of God politics. Now, the Jews living in Jerusalem, they owed Tiberius Caesar, a denarius, this tax. But as people made in God's image, we owe him everything, right? Question, who can pay God everything? (laughs) Who can pay God your entire heart, your entire mind, your entire life? Can anyone here do that? No. The cost is far too steep. There's this story in the Gospel of Matthew where Jesus doesn't have enough money to pay the local tax. I just love that. Jesus was absolutely impoverished. So he says, Peter, go catch a, go catch a fish. So Peter goes and catches a fish. He opens the fish's mouth, and there's a coin to pay. Pay the tax. I wish we could all do that. I'm not good at fishing. It would take me a long time to get that tax money. And that's what God does for us, right? God actually provides the coin. See, we owe everything to God, and God gives us the payment. Jesus is our coin. Jesus is our treasure, See, Jesus is made in the image of God, and he's perfectly made in the image of God. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus unites us as the perfect image of God because it's only through Jesus, the perfect image, that we can have a relationship with God. And so the question is, are we identifying primarily with that image or some other identity? Or image in the world. Because it's, if it's not with Jesus, it's an idol. And what does Jesus do? He lays down his perfect image, his life, as a substitute for our lives. He gives his perfect and holy image for our dirty and broken images. I know that I can never pay the full price, but Jesus can, and he has, and he does. And so, when I'm tempted to get upset and start arguing about policies and politics, money, immigration, abortion, remember Jesus is our treasure. Remember, he is the perfect image of God, he is the true image bearer. And we as a church can find our unity in him. If we try to find our unity by being on one team or the other, or even by being the perfect mix of the two teams, trying to form our third team, it's not going to work you got to be on Team Jesus. we got to find our unity in him. Jesus shows us a different way with the image of God. His opponents try to trap him. But Jesus challenges what we value and expor- exposes our idolatry. Jesus affirms, yet right-sizes human authority. And Jesus affirms human dignity and worth. And Jesus unites us in the perfect image of God. So I stands for image of God, and I hope that we will all go out into our world and how we engage, just being a little bit more aware of the image of God in each other and in our politicians, and uh, I think that'll result in good things. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for your goodness and for your grace. I pray that you would help us to value the image of God in each other. I know it's so easy for me to forget about that. but You make us valuable. So we want to treat each other as valuable. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name.